This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Life Church. I'm glad you are here. I know what every one of you is thinking right now. You're thinking, man, old guys look good in a vest. Yeah. I, just, I thought I would just say it before one of you shouted it out. Yeah, thanks. Probably also thinking he'd look good in cargo shorts. But let's not go that far. We are really glad you're here and uh, thankful for you that are online. We are really glad you're here. We're going to take a little break, um, just a momentary break from First Peter. He is coming back. I'm kind of think of me as your sort of your your friendly neighborhood intermission. Just this little break, but Pete will be back next week. How many think we might be living in a moment of time that is begging for grace? People hungry, craving someone to show them a little grace. I uh, started early in the summer. I thought, I'm going to go through some of the tenets of, of a, a Christian faith, again, just for my own sake, just to refresh my mind. I started with grace, and I never got off of grace. I spent my summer just studying it thinking about it, reading, rereading some old books about it, and just trying to see where's the application for me and for you. And as I got stuck in grace, which is not a bad place to be stuck, I might say. You're going to be stuck somewhere, be stuck in grace. I just began to re- realize how devoid the world is of true grace, and unfortunately, I feel like maybe some of that's maybe my issue. Maybe the problem is that I'm the one without the grace. Maybe the the one who gave it to me to distribute hasn't quite got the person that I thought I was. God's secretaries, the the guys who wrote the the New Testament on his behalf, they they had all kinds of graphic words that, that they used to try to attempt to help us understand this new life that we've begun been given because Jesus came and Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead. And then he came because we invited him to live in our hearts. Got all kinds of words like justification, redemption, reconciliation, adoption, forgiveness, all these words that they were trying to use, trying to give deeper meaning so that we would get a grasp on how, how big the gift has been given that has been given really is. We, we, really are the undeserving recipients of God's love. Here's a fact. None of us, even those who were trying to clarify this for us, really understood the magnitude of what Jesus had done and how all of it came our direction. The best word, I think, to fit over it, that kind of kind and love it, uh, uh, and kindness and, and love and attention, the best word to fit over that, stretch over it, is just that simple word, grace. It says in John 1, uh, 16, it says, for from his fullness, that's Jesus, 
we have all received grace upon grace. That's the story. That's God's true heart for us, that he would give us grace upon grace to show his love to us again and again and again. No matter what situation I find myself in, no matter what, what I'm faced with, no matter what, what was behind me, no matter what's in front of me, that he would show me again that it's grace and then grace upon grace. His love in practical, actual form. We, know, we all know a little something about grace. Would probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. We certainly want it to be shown to us, but how many of you think sometimes we don't know, we don't always offer it to others? What I've been given. See, this is God's true heart to us. In John 8, there's a quintessential story that illustrates grace and why it is so important for us to be there. So I want you to open your Bibles with me to John 8, verse 3. You know this story pretty well. John 8, 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. We'll stop there. How many of us know the standard uh, definition of grace? The unmerited favor of God. I've heard, I've, I've heard it referred to as undeserved love. And a lot of us know the old anagram for grace, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Remember all that? Those all kind of poke at the aspects of the power of grace. But how many of you understand that they are woefully inadequate to touch the depth of this condemned woman's fear and shame? What if Jesus would have offered her a definition rather than actually setting her free? She needed more than definition. She needed more than platitudes. She needed more than an anagram. She needed... She needed someone to come in and change the direction of her life. Her her sin was real. There was no question about it. The verdict was real. Her execution was imminent. There was no way out of this dilemma for her. Everything was on the surface. Everything was public. What she didn't know was that Jesus was there. See, grace has come on the scene and grace would become very real to her in the most threatening moment of her life because if it hadn't have been there, she would have been a goner. But John has already told us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. So, here's the good news. Grace finds me where I am. That's good news for everybody. It was certainly good news for this woman. And it should have been really good news for these temple lawyers, for these Pharisees. They're also in the story. See, they had correctly interpreted the letter of the law. That was their job. And they were making a very accurate application. The law did say what it said about her. 
They had some other motivations, of course, um, other than their legal purity, but technically, they were justified in what they were about to do to this woman. So the law is in full play here. They had no concern for her welfare. They were not interested in her backstory, only interested in her sin. When you're right, you don't have to have mercy, right? We don't have to connect to her. We don't have to have any reason to try to solve her problem. And they stood there absolutely convinced that God was, that God was backing their judgments and a subsequent sentence because they knew what the scripture said. Believe, they believed they were pleasing him and quoting scripture and hoping to trap Jesus in the process. I don't know know about you, but but I've noticed that if you want something badly enough, you can prove it in Scripture. You know what I mean? Find the verses you really like, the ones that fit you and your situation. There is this problem. You have to ignore some other stuff. You have to ignore some other verses. You know, and, and you go with the one. If it feels good, go with it. It, it, it. How many of you know it always feels good to be right? But you might have to disregard some truth. That's where these guys were. Of course, into the story, we have Jesus as well. Here's what you need to know. Jesus believed, understood, and kept the law. In fact, he was the only one in this story who did. It wasn't the Pharisees. See, Jesus was not challenging the law. He had no problem with the law. He understood that God had given it to create this necessary and legitimate boundary for all of mankind, place we stay in, because he knew that God ultimately had given the law to connect us with our creator, not to drive us away. He made it so we knew how we, we could get to him. And, and they were just, he wasn't just creating some rules. Mankind needed to know what God wanted in order to stay in his favor. But Jesus was also a realist. He understood that man, about a, a man's complete inability to keep within those boundaries and honor God's favor. We are failures at it. I, I think, the, I think it's, it says it like this in the King James. We sucketh unto the fourth generation. Now, that's a paraphrase, but it's pretty accurate. See, we get to know God's law, but we can't keep it. It's a target we could never hit. It, it's the ultimate catch-22. On one side, if we're trying really hard, we become failures. On the other side, we just get self-righteous. Where that's where the Pharisees had landed. In this moment... In this moment of the woman's greatest point of need, Jesus brings another power to play, a much more promising facet of God's nature. Jesus brings grace on the scene. Jesus Jesus truly sees this woman, and he has no intention of leaving her in the catch-22. He's not going to leave her hopeless, and he is not going to take issue with the law. What he does instead is he satisfies the intent, the spirit of the law, by bringing grace into her situation. 
And that means he's going to bring her into relationship with himself. And through that, then beginning connecting her attitudes and behaviors. Through it all, totally and always remaining faithful to God's love for her, for the Pharisees, and for himself. He forgave her, and he unleashed grace for this woman. For the first time in her life, she realizes that someone finally sees her. Not the sinful, broken person that men want to use, but Jesus sees her. And instead of judgment, he offers her grace. See, that's what, that's what grace does. Grace sees us, understands, it understands us and makes a way out. What do you feel when it seems that, that someone actually has been listening to you, is welcoming to you, and seems to understand, who sits patiently and listens? What, how does that make you feel? That maybe somebody finally saw me. One of the things when training people to do prayer ministry is you ha- I can't give you a formula, but you can look and see people and listen. Pretty soon you're going to hear what it is they need, not what you need. See, this is what grace does. And when we turn and listen to others, we're the ones who are now offering grace. I think it's a world where we just don't listen very well to one another, do we? I had a friend who was a pastor in Japan, Japanese, called himself Thomas. I can't pronounce his real name. (laughs) But Thomas used to go down into the busy subways of, of Tokyo, busiest, some of the busiest in the world, and he would take two chairs and set it up, and he would have a sign that said, listening station. And he would just sit there, and people come by and say, what is this? And he says, I'm here to listen to you. And people would sit down, people whose lives were full, who nobody was paying attention, would sit there and pour their hearts out, and he would have a doorway into the gospel, just listening. We can't hardly talk about this stuff without talking about Paul. Paul became the best interpreter of, what it, of the difference of, of living under the, the law and under grace. He constantly juxtaposed the law of God with, with his grace. In, in the letter to the Romans, um, as well as his other books, if we live under grace rather than the law, we really need to understand this gift. See, the, the law is God-given. It's an accurate uh, record of God's expectations for us and how it was given so we could be in relationship and stay in relationship with him. That made the law good. But with it, it also tells us there are consequences if we don't adhere to it 100%. So we will all be judged by that. How many of you know that made the law very dangerous for us? The law is unblinking. It is, it is spot on lethal. And in our failure to keep it, it is the downfall of every living human being. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Now there's some good news. That's where we often leave it. The law made sin fatal. And we're kind of all about sin. See, it's fatal Because the law, keeping the law, is totally dependent on my personal strength, my character, to accomplish what it demands. And folks, I'm afraid to tell you, it's not happening. I don't have the capacity. 
See, that same scripture that says the wages of sin is death goes on, thankfully, to say, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, grace, unlike the law, is not dependent on me. Grace is totally dependent on the strength and the unfailing nature of God's love. Paul Zoll says, Grace depends on the fact that its origin is totally outside myself. We don't create grace. We don't inspire it. Grace exists without any input from us because God in his nature is gracious. See, it doesn't great. Grace doesn't exist because I'm needy. It is it ex- Uh, exists because God is full of grace. It just so happens I'm needy, and God is gracious. Worked out really well. I need to be forgiven. Romans 5.20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness and bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We all know we're those lawbreakers, and we need to acknowledge that. Don't ignore that or stuff it down, that feeling that somehow I'm not living up to this. You're not. Thomas Merton once wrote, we cannot find him unless we know we need him. And I have found that to be the truth. Desperation. How many of you know that sometimes desperation finally gets you to ask the right questions? What's wrong here? What's going on that I can't fix? God's grace, his favor, takes care of that need. How many of you know that his grace is more real than your sin? If it isn't, it couldn't fix it. God's grace always finds us where we are, just as it did this woman. It doesn't wait for you to crawl out of your hole, doesn't wait for you to improve, doesn't wait for things to get better around you. It is unafraid. Grace is unafraid to walk into any situation in which you find yourself, whether you created it or somebody else did. Grace is unafraid. Sometimes life just happens and nobody's at fault. But could you agree with me? I still need grace. Grace is unafraid to come where you are. Paul Zoll says grace is unconditional love towards a person who does not deserve it. Let's keep reading. Verse six, they were using the question as a trap in order to make a basis for accusing him. When Jesus bent down and started, uh, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. I have no idea what he wrote. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. These guys had self-righteously dragged this woman in front of Jesus, mostly to satisfy their need in the law, but also to trap Jesus. What they didn't consider was that they were in the very same boat that she was. See, she had been caught red-handed, but so had they, hadn't they? No mercy in their lives. They too had failed the law, and they too deserved punishment. Jesus was just being gracious to them by exposing all of that. See, when, when we self-righteously judge another, 
Forgetting that the law applies to us as well, we set ourselves up to be judged. Matthew 7, 2 says, for Jesus speaking, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure for uh, you use it, you will be measured, it will be measured to you. See, Jesus had made it clear that hating was the same as murder. That lusting was the equivalent of following through with some unlawful sexual encounter. See, he recognized we're, we're losers in this and we're judged by our own thoughts and intents. And what happens is we begin to understand if we, if we feel like we're righteously, that we can judge others, this is what grace begins to do. Grace destroys the myth of us and them. In grace and in the law, there is no us and them. It's all us. <laughs> I can't separate myself and, and pull myself away like these Pharisees able to do. Not interested in this woman's life. Not interested in the story. Not interested in it. Don't want to be associated with her. We're just going to keep the, the law as it stands. Jesus stands in, steps in and challenges it because grace changes everything. Does everyone understand that every living human being on the face of this earth is in the very same position? No matter how much you like them or dislike them, no matter how much they like you or dislike you, we're all in the very same boat. Grace begins to prove there is no us in them because the law, there's no us in them. And the grace comes along to begin to set you free. We can't earn grace. No one can. If we could, it would no longer be grace. It would be wages. Grace has to be offered by the one who is full of grace. I can't earn at any level, but grace is real. Why do we think that half the world has no intention of listening to what Christians have to say right now? Have you thought much about this? I mean, we got truth. Could it be that we're sending a message that we're judging them and that we're not really interested in their welfare? It's us and them. We've tried to create it, but folks, I'm here to dispel that myth today. In Christ, there is no us and them. See, in the end, there's only going to be two categories of people, the has, great, has grace group and the needs grace group. And there's nothing else. The truth is we fall into the second, or we Christians fall into the second category as often as we fall into the first. We often, often believe that only sinners need grace, you know, or maybe those rare times when I actually feel some guilt, then I need some grace. As Dallas Willard used to say, he said, saints burn far more grace than sinners ever could. They burn it the way a jet burns rocket fuel. That's us. See, the reason we're not to judge and not to demand the law for others, but, demand, but are able to demand grace for ourselves is because we can come to the point where I want grace for you as much as I want it for myself. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the church learned to live there? Let me think about that. What if I wanted every good thing that God has done in my life, truly wanted it, didn't want to just, just get it and keep it, wrap it up and make it mine, 
but I actually wanted you to have everything I had and more. See, not only does grace find me where I am, uh, not only does it make sure I understand that we're all the same, but grace won't leave me where it found me. Reading in John 8 again, verse 9. At this, those who heard began to, to go away one at a time. The older one first, probably wearing vests. Until only Jesus was left. And the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. Can you imagine being able to answer that question that way? When moments ago, your life was flashing before your very eyes. Folks, can you get this? In, in, the reason the story is here is because God is wanting to understand you're either the woman or you're the Pharisee. No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go, or as it says, again in the King James, go and sin no more. That go and sin no more sounds like a command, you know? Uh, we fill in the blanks. It's like, go and sin no more or else. Uh, how many of you, do you understand that if Jesus was really saying oh, uh, or else, Jesus was saving her by grace and then turning around and thrusting her right back under the knees of the law. That's not what he was saying. Like, don't you mess up. What he was saying to her was, now that the door of grace has opened to you, now that the need has been met in you, don't turn around to, to an uncertain future and try to go back to the places that never served you before. See, she did not get what the law demanded. She got what the Lord intended, an open door with relationship to her. Does everyone understand that at this moment, her future has become more important than her past? Do you understand that's what grace does for you? You want to live in your past? That thing that never really served you, never really served the ones around you, that's where I want to live. When there is grace for change, when there is grace for, for my life to, to be moved, grace won't leave me where it found me, just like it won't leave this woman where it found her. Romans 6.1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, uh, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, may live a new life. Would you really want to continue to live in an old life that never adequately served you? or adequately served others. Jesus had opened a door for her and said, this is the law. This is the, this is the life that God had intended for you. This is now. You can step away from whatever it was that put you in this position. It no longer is your story. You have a brand new story to walk out because he is full of grace. And now you have become the beneficiary 
Grace can change the conclusions that we have drawn about our own uselessness, our own usefulness, our failure, and it can begin to infuse our hearts with hope and with gratitude. But many still struggle with their past, and they believe somehow this grace doesn't apply to me. Paul made it so clear in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Grace gives us a totally new outcome. It will not leave us where it found us. And because it doesn't, grace keeps transforming me and causes me to thrive. Romans 5, 17, for if because of one, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, that's grace upon grace, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in life. Now, there's a situation that we ought to play towards. Reigning in life, those who've been given the abundance of grace, those who have, have begun to see it rule over the old nature of, the, of what I was and what my future would have been if, if Jesus hadn't injected his grace at the moment of, of my reception. We cannot only, uh, not only receive it, it begins to transform me and I begin to thrive. This isn't like the guy who one time, um, who's in my church, who's, who it was caught again in some really unsavory business practices. And, you know, this is when I was still out in Yarrington. Uh, you don't do anything in a small town without somebody knowing about it. And they also know what church you go to. Yeah, you follow me? I mean, a small town, everybody's up in your business. And if they can't find any bidness, they'll make some bidness. They'll just make it up. But this was one of those guys. He presented. He, he, it, what he was doing was, was not right. So we pulled him in, and, and we confronted him again about some of the things that were not only creating a problem for him, but they were creating a problem for the kingdom of heaven. And, and there needed to be some, a, a bit of confrontation. And he says, wait a minute. He says, you don't know how this works. He said, I can do some bad stuff, and all I have to do is ask for forgiveness, and he has to forgive me. He knew the scripture. He has to forgive me, and I thought, you know what? He's God. He doesn't have to do anything. You see, does everyone understand that that attitude is, is, is neither transforming nor thriving. That's trying to use the goodness of God for your own benefit. And, and it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the thing that begins to change my life. Let me give you three more things very quickly. These are, this is a whole nother sermon. Imagine it. First of all, grace is always available. Just say to yourself, always available. Ah, I don't care what your situation is. Don't come telling me how bad it is. There is grace for you. 
2 Corinthians 8, 7. As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You can live in this stuff. Grace is always available. Secondly, grace is always enough. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. This is Paul talking about this thorn in the flesh thing. He was asking God to remove. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Don't care what you're in right now, the grace of God will be sufficient to meet you. Looks like there's no way out, just like this lady. Grace has an answer. Jesus has an answer. Finally, Grace always puts me in mission. This is the thing about it, that once grace becomes mine, it's expected that I begin to give grace away. We call that mission. Comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And if I intend to be useful in the kingdom, useful in the church, useful in the world, then grace will have a huge role to play. Stephen, full of God's grace and power, Perform great wonders and signs among the people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me read John 1.16 again, the scripture I, I first read. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You need like that, remember that old got milk thing that you used to have? We just need a, a got grace. We need, a, we need a, a milk cartons that say got grace. Need it on our mirror, got grace. That's not a question. That's a fact. Father, bless us. We're people in need of grace. We see it. We understand it. Lord, this helps us understand why all that weird behavior of people around us. They're desperately looking for something that's solid. And grace, Lord, is solid because it comes from you. It's the very expression of your character and your nature. And Lord, for me to deny somehow that I'm, not, I'm the one who it doesn't fit is almost dishonoring to you. Lord, fill us with grace and make us a graceful and gracious people, willing to listen, willing to speak, willing to be on mission because what you have done for us, no one else could do. We thank you. Bless this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.